Amen. Y'all can go ahead and have a seat. So, so good to see each and every one of you um, here today. I'm just thankful that you're here as well. I just want to thank everybody joining us online today. I'm thankful that you're tuning in with us and that you're worshiping alongside of us. Um, I do want to say to um, the group that's in here um, right now, um, I know what you're probably thinking. Um, you're thinking, hey, I've waited 10 weeks to get back to church, right? I've, I've risked it to come in here and I show up and I get this. And look, I want you to know, I'm sorry, all right? I would be upset too. I wouldn't be happy about seeing me either, right? But that, look, that's just the, the hand that you were dealt today. We're gonna have to push through it. It's gonna be all right. Um, but I'm excited to be able to be here. Um, one thing that I do wanna say um, to both this audience and to those that are joining online, and I've said this before, and I want to continue to um, reiterate this, is um, for us to continue to be in the habit of extending grace to one another, right? One of the things that I'm seeing, um, especially on, on social media right now, which is always a pretty divisive um, area, but one of the things that you're starting to see is just the arguments on, on both sides of the aisle in terms of, of opening things back up or not, and even things as simple as, as face masks, of should you wear one, should you not wear one, and you got one side that's saying, man, it's dumb to wear one, you got the other side that's saying it's dumb not to wear one, and one of the things that I would could see potentially happening is now we have two different audiences in this church. We have those that are coming back to the church, beginning to meet here. And we have those that are at home, they're meeting in these homes. And the thing that I don't wanna see happen is that the enemy try to come in to begin to divide us, right? To begin to make us question each other or the reasons why some come or the reasons why some don't come. And so um, can we as, as a church um, lead the pack in, in extending grace to one another, showing what it looks like to love one another, to respect one another and to recognize that we all have different reasons for doing different things. I really just want us to, to challenge ourselves um, to do that and to stay committed to that. And so we're, we're not adding to the, to the noise of all the different um, voices um, back, and, back and forth. And so just definitely want to encourage you. But either way, um, thank you so much for coming today. We're glad you did show up. We didn't really know what to expect. And um, I told the service at, at 9 a.m. that um, this morning I've had um, now two cups of coffee. Um, I haven't preached in a little while. So y'all better just like buckle up because um, I'm, I'm ready to go. Um, I'm ready to get after it. Um, and it's, it's gonna be a good morning. And so I've given up on the whole trying to talk slow thing. It's just not happening. So we're just gonna push past that. We're gonna get into the two scripture and we're gonna see what it has for us. Um, let me pray for us. Father, we love you so much. God, I'm thankful for this opportunity, God, to, to preach your, um, your good news, God, to be able to open your word, God, and to see what it has for us, God. I'm thankful for those that are joining us here in person. God, what a sweet time to be able to just hear our voices again. God, singing praises to you. God, I'm so thankful for those that are in the homes right now, God, that they are gathered up as a family, worshiping together, God, opening your word, regardless of their location, God. God, what a privilege it is to have the technology that allows this to take place, allows us as a church body to be in so many different places and yet to be one together. God, we pray this morning that you speak to us and speak to us in a real way. We love you and we praise you. Amen. Well, as Brandon said earlier, we are in a series right now called Opportunity. And the reason that we um, called it that is that we realize that in this season 
of just the world right now, of our culture right now, we didn't, as a church, we didn't want to look at things and go, what are we not able to do anymore? We didn't want to look at the things that we weren't able to do. We wanted to start really diving into what are the opportunities that we now have because of what's going on? How can we lean into this? How can we press into this? What are the things that maybe we wouldn't have had the option to do if this, if what was going on was not happening? And so the first week, one of the big things that Brandon opened up with is he talked about how so many of our idols in, in this world and in our culture have fallen. So whether that be sports or whether that be Hollywood or whether that be stock market or, or whatever it may be, so many of these things that we put our time, our focus, our energy, our, our money into have fallen. And he encouraged us. He says, we have the opportunity not to pick these things back, back up again, right? We have the opportunity to be able to return to the Father and give him the worship that he deserves. And so it's this incredible challenge of what are we gonna do with that? Are we gonna take this opportunity not to allow these things to, to take over our lives, which there's sometimes they can, right? The following couple of weeks, we kind of looked at some of those things that um, are really the, the description of, of God's design. You've heard that, that phrase several times over the past several weeks, God's design. We have this opportunity to return to God's design. Right? The, where that came from is we were having a meeting. We're actually all as staff sitting right over here in this section and we were discussing different ministry areas. And we were talking about um, Connection students. We're talking about our student ministry here. And we were just kind of going through, what is this gonna look like um, after this? What is it looking like right now? And one of the things that Justin, our student pastor shared with us is he said, you know, one of the things that I've noticed is that as much as I miss having all of our students back together and, and, and being able to teach them, and just having the fellowship time and the community, as much as I miss having everybody together in one place, one of the things that I've picked up on is that as we do these remote um, sessions where we have these meetings where everybody joins in online, I'm seeing on the video, I'm seeing families huddled up together. And he said, what I'm realizing is that student ministry is returning into the hands of the parents. He said, which is ultimately God's design. And it just struck us when he said the words God's design, we realized it's something as simple as, as student ministry where, where so often we we're trying to think, how do we reach these students? And the, big, the best way for us to reach our students is for our parents to train and equip them. That is what God's word is the challenge for us as parents to do is to train and equip our children. It doesn't mean that we don't wanna have the environments for student ministry all to come together and for other people to be able to pour into your children. We want that to happen. That's the body of Christ doing its work. But man, how cool is it that this has forced parents to take some more initiative in their students' lives. And so we talked through what are some of those other areas where we're able to return to God's design. Last week, Jordan shared about the opportunity for us to go from being fearful to being fearless. I mean, what a, um, a timely message, right? To what it really looks like to address fear in a biblical way. And is it okay to be fearful? And what does that look like? And how do we respond in moments that we're fearful? How can we look for those opportunities to take maybe that fear and turn it into having a mentality of being fearless because we recognize what God is doing in and through us. And so as I was thinking about this message and I was thinking about what are these different opportunities, one of the things Brandon said, um, it was a couple of weeks after everything kind of began to shut down and we, had, we were having a staff meeting and he said, I, I feel like this is almost 
um, kind of a, a situation, kind of like what happened after the stoning of Stephen in the book of Acts, right? Where you see all of the, um, the, the, the church basically being scattered. And I don't think he was meaning this, and I, I'm definitely not meaning this, is that we're trying to say that it's exactly the same thing, right? What was going on in the early church and the persecution that was going on with the stoning of Stephen was exactly the same as what's going on right now in our culture with the coronavirus. Two different things, but the one thing that I think is similar is this feeling of being scattered, right? I don't know about you, but I feel like um, you know, since this is the first time that we've been able to be back together again, up until this point, I've just felt disconnected with people, right? It feels as though we have just been all scattered away. And so I thought, man, I wonder what the response was like in the early church when they felt that same way, because maybe there's some opportunities that we can look at that they took that maybe we can learn from. Again, it's not the same exact situation, but there's some similarities here. So what if we looked at this and looked at what was going on in the early church when they felt like they were scattered? And as I looked at that, there was a individual that just really stood out to me that I feel like we can learn a lot from. And so his name is Philip, and that's who we're gonna be looking at today. And so if you've got your Bible, you can go ahead and turn to the book of Acts, chapter chapter six. We're going to be in Acts chapter six. And to give you kind of a, as you're going there, kind of a, a bringing you up to speed of where we're at, um, the book of Acts is all um, basically about um, how the early church began to spread. This is right after Jesus ascended. He starts off the book of Acts. We see um, where um, Jesus tells us in um, Acts 1-8, where he says, you will receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you and you will be my witnesses in all of Judea and Samaria and to the ends of the earth. And so he kind of commissions the church to say, now it's on you to take this good news um, and take it to the ends of the earth. And so you see that challenge and um, these apostles that um, were um, kind of before Jesus went to, to the cross, they were kind of struggling. They had their doubts. Well, all of a sudden you see incredible boldness um, take over um, them and they would just begin preaching whether they were persecuted or not, whether they were threatened or not. They just began sharing the gospel to whoever they came in contact with. And you saw all up until chapter six, the church is exploding, right? The church is just growing day by day in the midst of persecution, in the midst of everything else. And you're just seeing incredible things happening. Um, you're seeing them share possessions with one another and loving one another. And it's just this beautiful, beautiful, picture. And it says that they just never stopped teaching or preaching the good news of Jesus. And so that brings us up to chapter six. And what happens, there was an issue that arose um, with the church. They had a, a disagreement. And this is the kind of the first disagreement in the church. And we get to see kind of how they responded to that. So in Acts chapter six, starting in verse one, it says, in those days, when the number of disciples was increasing, the Hellenistic Jews among them complained against the Hebraic Jews because their widows were being overlooked in the daily distribution of food. So the 12 gathered, the 12 apostles, all the disciples together and said, it would not be right for us to neglect the ministry of the word of God in order to wait on tables. Brothers and sisters, choose seven men from among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. We will turn this responsibility over to them and will give you our will give our attention to prayer and the ministry of the word. This proposal pleased the whole group. There's several things that I want to point out in this. And the first is one of the things that we, we see here, and I didn't even pick up on this until actually last night, I'm sitting on my patio, just kind of re rereading everything, kind of thinking about the message a little bit. And I picked up on something um, that I just hadn't picked up on before. It says when they're trying to decide on these, these seven people, it says, the apostles look at them and they said, brothers and sisters, choose seven men 
among you who are known to be full of the spirit and wisdom. What I realize here is that when it's speaking to, when these apostles are speaking to everybody else, that's basically like, you know, your pastors or your church staff speaking to the lay people, speaking to you all, the, the, uh, the, um, the ministers of, um, of the gospel, just, the, just everyday Christians. So these seven people, they're just lay people. They're just normal everyday Christians. They've come to accept Jesus and they're just trying to follow what he desires them to do. What we see the 12 do here is something very, very interesting. They could have, these 12 apostles, could have handpicked these seven people. They could have taken that, um, that authority, that um, opportunity to do that themselves. But when the first disagreement happened in the church, these apostles said, you know what? We're gonna give authority back to you. We're gonna um, give away power, right? We're not just gonna try to hold on to that. We want you to make this decision. We wanna empower you. We wanna equip you to make this decision. So think about everything we've been talking about as a church over the past, it seems like forever, where we're talking about wanting to see the church body do the work of the ministry and put, the, put ministry back into the hands of the people. Well, we see when the first issue arose, that's what the apostle did. did. They said, look, we're going to put it back in your hands. And this was not a, a negative thing. This was an incredible thing to see that they were giving away this power and said, we want you to make this decision. As they got together and they discussed this, they prayed over these men and they say, look, Miss it. We're trying to, to reach the, these widows. And, and there's some texts that say this was a distribution of food. Some texts say it was a distribution of money. Regardless of what it was, they were being neglected and they needed people that could keep an eye on that and make sure that they were taken care of. This probably wasn't a, a high position. This was probably um, something that maybe it wasn't as high regarded as some of the other different things. But you saw these, these seven men willing to say, look, I'm going to do whatever is needed right here. And you see that there is such um, care taken over. We want to find men that are full of faith, that are full of wisdom. There is extreme care taken over finding the people that are going to be the right fit for this. And how incredible was it that when they did this, the end of it, it says this proposal pleased the whole group, right? At what time have y'all seen a decision happen in the church that everybody agrees with, right? It's incredible to think about the first disagreement that they had the apostles, the ones in charge, gave away power, gave away authority. The people did what they were supposed to do. They did the work of the ministry. They raised up these other people, prayed for them, and there was agreement. And the reason there was agreement is because there was unity around the gospel. They were all focused on the same thing, and that was that the gospel continued to spread. And they didn't allow all of the small things to get in the way. They say, we're going to stay fixated on this. And so even though we had a disagreement, we discussed it, we prayed about it, and you saw incredible thing take place. So they, they come up with these seven people. One of these seven people is Philip. So this is our first introdu introduction to Philip. And so Philip was one of these seven that was caring for these widows. And the thing that I think about with this is our first introduction to him is we see this is a man that's willing to do whatever it takes, right? He's willing. He's like, I don't have to be the one out front. I don't, I, if you need me to take care of them, I'll do that. Whatever you need me to do, I'm just here to serve the Lord. And I just want to be obedient to him. We know that he, again, was full of faith. We know that he was full of wisdom, but he was willing to do whatever it takes. So we look at somebody's response in Philip and we see that he's just willing to do whatever it takes. Now, right after this section, we see um, the section where, where Stephen is seized. 
Um, Stephen was also one of the seven. He's the one that I talked about earlier that was ended up um, being stoned. And the reason that this happened was because he goes out, he begins performing all of these signs and wonders. He begins sharing the gospel. Well, people didn't like that, right? The, the ones that put Jesus to death, they didn't like what was going on. They didn't like that Stephen was doing this. They didn't like that more and more Christians were, um, were coming to faith because of what Stephen was doing. And so they bring him in there and they say, are these charges true? Have you been doing this? And Stephen goes into this incredible sermon where he goes from basically the beginning of the Bible through the whole thing and shows the thread of Jesus through the whole thing. He proclaims all of these incredible truths and, and does so in a pretty bold way. So much so that at the end of that section, it's, he looks at them and he says, you stiff necked people, your hearts and ears are still uncircumcised. You are just like your ancestors. You always resist the Holy Spirit. So he's looking at these people that have the ability to throw them in jail, have them have the ability to put him to death. And he's looking at them. He's speaking truth to them. He's not backing down. He's, he's being incredibly, incredibly bold. Again, let's be reminded, Stephen is one of these seven. He is a lay person. He's not a professional Christian. He is just somebody that is full of faith. He is a believer that's trying to do whatever God desires him to do. Well, lo and behold, because of this, they put him to death. They stone him. And we see the first example of a Christian martyr, somebody that was willing to die for their faith. And that brings us up to the point of whenever this took place is when the church was scattered. And it picks up in chapter eight and it says, and Saul approved of their killing him, referring to Stephen. It says, on that day, a great persecution broke out against the church in Jerusalem and all except the apostles were scattered throughout Judea and Samaria. The thing that's interesting about that is when we see that when the church is, is growing, the church is exploding, I believe probably what the enemy is trying to do is the enemy is the one bringing the persecution and the enemy is thinking, you know what? I need to divide them. I need to scatter them. I need to move them away from each other because it seems like they're accomplishing too much with, with one another. An enemy's thought is that if I can scatter them, I can divide them. And we know that for Christians, when we're scattered, right? We don't divide, we multiply or at least we have the opportunity to multiply. And that's what I believe that you see here is that these disciples, these um, disciples of Jesus, they took the opportunity to say, hey, as we're being scattered, we're gonna use this as an opportunity to multiply. Picking up in verse four, it says, those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. People that are at home right now, there's a feeling of being scattered, right? Look at the, what the word says. Those who had been scattered preached the word wherever they went. Philip went down to a city in Samaria and proclaimed the Messiah there. When the crowds heard Philip and saw the signs he performed, they all paid close attention to what he said. For with shrieks, impure spirits came out of many, and many who were paralyzed or lame were healed. So there was great joy in that city. city. A lot of different things that we can point out in regards to Philip going to Samaria. The first thing is that maybe this reminded you back to Acts 1.8, right? That when it says that you will go into Judea and Samaria, right? This is that Samaria that we're talking about here. And so this is that first step to take this commission that Jesus gave these disciples to say, look, you're gonna take my message to the ends. This is that first introduction to going into Samaria and Philip saying, hey, I'll, I'll go, all right? I'll go, whatever you need me to do. Hey, I was taking care of these, these widows, but hey, if you need me to go down there and try to preach the good news, I'm going to do it. The other thing we can't overlook is when it's talking about Philip going to Samaria, Philip was, is a Jewish guy going into Samaria, right? Now, 
this isn't just like one of us going down to hope you like it, right? This is kind of a, a, a big deal here, right? Because the Jews and the Samaritans, they didn't get along. In fact, they haven't gotten along for about a thousand years. There was a huge disagreements between these two groups of people. So him going in there to preach the gospel is a pretty crazy thing to think about. One, it's crazy on Philip's side that he was willing to go into an area that wasn't going to accept him, that wasn't really gonna want his presence there. And then on the flip side of that is that the Samaritans were actually willing to accept Peter and willing to hear from him. But here's what happens when he comes in and he begins sharing the gospel. It says, they all paid close attention to what he said. And what I realized about that is that the gospel has the ability to tear down cultural divides, to tear down um, past history of things that have happened. It doesn't mean that those differences and those things go away. Like there's, you think back to um, our, our just history as a world, there's been a lot of different disagreements between different groups of people. And those things don't just go away, but the gospel comes through and it, it sets those things aside. Because again, just like they had unity in the gospel in the choosing of the seven, you see the same thing begin to take place as the gospel is going is that there is a unity that happens and people are able to set aside the differences, to set aside the disagreements to go, man, what is happening through this? And what can I learn from these words that are being spoken? Ultimately, it says that there was a great joy that was brought to that city. And I think about our city and I think about the different cities that are in this world right now where it seems like maybe some joy could be returned to, to cities again. I feel like for us, it's just, it's not like there's just been, everything's been bad, but there's just been kind of a gloominess to things recently, right? Maybe you felt the same way. You're like, I mean, things aren't bad. I mean, I'm doing okay, but I just kind of miss people. I'm just kind of struggling. There hasn't been a, a huge joyfulness amongst us. Well, what's going to return joy to the city of Statesboro? What's going to return joy to this world? If we, if we look at scripture and believe what scripture says, it seems to be the gospel. The gospel is going to be what, what brings joy to the city. If we want to see the city of Statesboro have joy come through it again, it's going to happen because those who had been scattered, all of us who are out in our communities and out in our jobs and are kind of isolated, if we begin to preach the word wherever we go. And when it says preaching the word, I think sometimes we look at that and we get intimidated by that. When you're just talking about sharing the gospel, the gospel is just good news, right? It's, a, it's um, oftentimes when people would come home from, from winning a war, they would say, we're going to come share the gospel. It's just the good news. Hey, we won this war, right? And so I think sometimes we overthink that and think we have to have this huge knowledge of things in order to preach the gospel, to preach the good news of Jesus. Again, be reminded, these seven individuals, the disciples at this time, they've only been been followers of Jesus for a short period of time. It's not like they've been doing this for 40 or 50 years. Everybody's a new Christian at this point, right? So if you're thinking, man, I haven't been following Jesus that long. I don't, I don't know enough. Well, they, they're in the same boat. And yet you see that they had this willingness to continue to preach wherever they went. The next section you see is you see this, this story of Simon the sorcerer, right? And I'm not going to read through the whole thing, but it is important, to, I believe, to Philip's story. And the reason it's important to his story is that Simon the sorcerer was a guy that practiced, well, sorcery, right? That's, that was his whole, whole deal, right? And he did all these incredible um, or just, just big things that and everybody thought he was kind of a big deal. And um, he was also in Samaria. And so when he goes and he hears from Philip and he hears the gospel, it kind of blows him away. And he's going, oh my gosh, I've missed it. I want whatever it is that you have. 
And, and he came to know Jesus. He was baptized. And so he kind of became one of almost Philip's disciples. And so Philip, Philip brought him in. He kind of brought him under his wing a little bit. And it says that, that um, Simon followed Philip everywhere he went. And so I can only imagine that um, Philip's trying to kind of pour into him, say, hey, let me kind of teach you some of these things. Let me kind of bring you up and, and let me try to pour into you. And so these incredible things are happening in Samaria. And then in verse 14, it says, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had accepted the word of God, they sent Peter and John to Samaria. Peter and John, two of the, the apostles. And when they arrived, they prayed for the new believers that they might receive the Holy Spirit because the Holy Spirit had not yet come on any of them. They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Then Peter and John placed their hands on them and they received the Holy Spirit. Listen, when Simon saw that the Spirit was given on the laying of the hands of the apostles, he offered them money and said, give me also this ability so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Peter answered, may your money perish with you because you thought you could buy the gift of God with money. You have no part or share in this ministry because your heart is not right before God. And when I read that, I'm like, man, that's, that's a pretty big hit, right? And what I thought about was, I wonder what Philip's perception was in this situation. Because I imagine Philip is probably standing right there and he's hearing this rebuke take place. And I wonder if he's thinking to himself, here's this guy, Simon, that I've been pouring into. Here's this guy, Simon, that I shared the gospel with, that I baptized, that I've been trying to raise up. And all of a sudden I realized Simon has missed it. Simon has not gotten it right maybe I led him poorly. Maybe I missed it. I don't know if this is what Philip's thinking, but I would imagine it's, it's what I would feel if I was trying to pour into somebody and all of a sudden the apostles come in and, and they hear from this guy and they're going, what'd you, John, what'd you do? Like he's, he's missed it completely. He's missed the entire gospel thinking that he could buy it, thinking that he could somehow earn it himself. And I'm like, man, I wonder what, what, what was Philip's response in this? Here's, we see Philip's response in verse 26. It says, now an angel of the Lord said to Philip, go south to the road, the desert road that goes down from Jerusalem to Gaza. So he started out. That's where we see Philip's response. In the, in the moment of Philip questioning maybe, did I, did I lead this guy poorly? Did I not do a good job? I'm, I'm thinking there might've been a feeling of, because I know, I feel like I would have felt this is, I should just leave this to professionals. Peter, John, you're here. Y'all take over. Um, I, I, I just can't do this right. He doesn't do that. He responds because when the angel Lord says for him to go and do something, it says he started out. He went immediately back to work. He realized that the response of people is not on him, right? He's called to just be obedient to what Jesus is calling him to. He can't change how people respond. He can't change whether people will get it right. He can't force people to respond a certain way. All he can do is be obedient to what Jesus is wanting to do in and through him. And so he didn't feel that pressure of, I've got to get it all right, because it's not on Philip, right? That's not his responsibility. Philip's only responsibility is to be obedient to Jesus. And so we see, it says that he, he started out and on his way, he met an Ethiopian eunuch, an important official in charge of all the treasury of the Kandake, which means queen of the Ethiopians, 
important thing that I wanna note here is the contrast between Philip going to Samaria. Again, Samaria uh, was viewed kind of as, as, a, as a hybrid race. They were, they were not viewed um, in the eyes of the, the Jewish people as a highly regarded people. And so they were kind of a very lowly stature. Now you have this Ethiopian eunuch, he's a high official. And so there's a difference in, in who Philip is, is talking to, who Philip is sharing the gospel with. What we realize in Philip is it didn't matter who was in front of him, right? He didn't, um, he didn't, uh, change his message. He didn't only go to one group or another. Whoever was in front of him, Philip was willing to share the gospel with. And I just think that's an important thing for us to notice is to realize his willingness to do and to take whatever opportunity was in front of him. It says, this man had gone up to Jerusalem to worship. More than likely, this Ethiopian was a convert to Judaism. And so he was going back to worship there. And on his way home, he was sitting in his chariot, reading the book of Isaiah, the prophet. The spirit told Philip, go to that chariot and stay near it. And when I first read this, I, I thought more than likely this chariot should maybe pulled off on the side of the road and he's just kind of chilling underneath a tree, reading this, this book. And Philip just was kind of walking over there to kind of see what he was doing. But as you kind of look at it, more than likely this chariot was actually moving. And so when it said, when the spirit told Philip to go and stand, be near it, more than likely he's having to like run next to this chariot, right? He's probably like, this chariot's moving, Philip's running along. He's, and like, how creepy would have that been if like Philip's just kind of hanging out like, hey, maybe I have an opportunity to share the gospel. I don't know. Hey, how's it going? Like, it's probably kind of a weird thing to do. But Philip was like, look, if you want me to run this to this chariot, chariot, I'll do it. I'll do whatever I need to do. Like, I might creep this guy out, but, but that's all right. And so he, it says, then Philip ran up. So literally he was running next to this chariot, just waiting for the opportunity to share the gospel. And it says, and he heard the man reading Isaiah, the prophet. And he says, do you understand what you were reading? Philip asked, how can I? He said, unless somebody explained it to me. So he invited Philip up to come and to sit with him. Whenever I read this passage, I often think about that, that phrase that we hear in Christian circles of, you know, preach the gospel always and when necessary, use words, right? The only issue with that is that the gospel requires words, right? And that's what you see right here is, that, is somebody is requiring words to be spoken to them to explain to them the things that they're reading. Does that mean that we don't live a life that's worthy of the gospel, that we don't wanna be imitators of Jesus, that we don't hope that our lives reflect Jesus and that other people will look at our lives and look at how we live and go, man, there's something different about that person. I just feel like, I don't know what it is, but I wanna approach them and say, man, there's something different. I just would, would love to know more about that. Like, absolutely, our lives should definitely reflect the gospel. But at some point, we actually have to share the gospel. We have to talk about it. We have to explain it to people because clearly here's the situation where somebody's saying, I need someone to explain it to me. So when you, when you read these different things in Acts where it says they preached the gospel wherever they went, that means they went and they spoke it to people. They met them where they were at. This is the passage of scripture that eunuch was reading. He was led like a sheep to the slaughter and as a lamb before its shearer is silent. So he did not move, did not open his mouth. In his humiliation, he was deprived of justice. Who can speak of his descendants? For his life was taken from the earth. The eunuch said to Philip, tell me, please, who is this prophet talking about himself or someone else? Then Philip began with that very passage of scripture and told him the good news about Jesus. What we see here is we see Philip, his open door was the book of Isaiah. His open door was saying, look, I'm gonna start here, but my end goal is the gospel. My end goal is Jesus. What we see, another thing that we see in Philip, one of the opportunities he continues to take is regardless of what's in front of him, he uses that as his entry point in order to get somebody to Jesus. And I just think, man, what would it look like for us 
to have that same type of mentality. This unit goes on to accept Jesus. And as they're riding this chariot, he actually sees water and he's like, man, I wanna be baptized right now. You see this, this immediate response that takes place. And it's just this, this beautiful picture of, of Phil being willing to just place himself in a situation where he has the opportunity to share the gospel. And then he, he was willing to do that. And then you saw somebody respond to that and then come to faith because of that and be able to then go and take Jesus to now Ethiopia because now you have a missionary to Ethiopia because somebody shared their faith with him. And you, again, that's that multiplying effect. You hear about Philip one more time in the book of Acts. Um, I believe it's in Acts 21. And it's a very brief moment where Paul actually goes and stays at his house. And all it really says about him is it says that, um, that Philip was there and he had four unmarried daughters who prophesied. And, and I believe what you see in that is you see that Philip took this responsibility of, of raising his family. He said, I want to raise these daughters to know Jesus and to, and to live for him and to, and to do mighty works through him. And so you, again, you see another example of Philip taking the opportunity to whatever is in front of him to be able to use that as an opportunity to, to, to point people to Jesus. The end result is Jesus. And so we look at Philip and I look at these examples of his life and I feel like there's several points that we can look at as we looked at these different scenarios with him. I was thinking about um, and thinking of when I first heard the word opportunity, um, the, the verse that came to my mind is that verse in Ephesians where it says, make the most of every opportunity, right? And, and I thought about, man, what an example. Philip seems to understand that. He made the most of whatever opportunity was in front of him. But there are several points that I wanna share. The first one is that Philip served God with whatever or whoever was in front of him. Philip served God with whatever or whoever was in front of him. So whether that was him caring for these widows and kind of taking a background role in something, he was willing to do that. He said, that's fine. I'm going to do whatever needs to be done. If that was Philip having to go to Samaria, go to a place that he knew might not accept him. He knew there was going to be a threat there. He might have even had some bad feelings towards he said, look, it doesn't matter. I'm willing to do that. If it was going to a high official, somebody that was probably intimidating, Philip was going, I'll do whatever is needed. Philip put himself in situations where he could leverage himself for the gospel. Philip put himself in situations where he could leverage himself for the gospel. Whenever it says that an angel of the Lord or the spirit told him to do something, you saw this um, this willingness to obey that and to say, I'm going to put myself in a situation where I have the opportunity to share the gospel. That's what he was doing alongside the Ethiopian. He said, I'm just going to run alongside this thing so I can hopefully leverage myself for the gospel. Philip's end game was always the gospel. Philip's end game was always the gospel. It didn't matter what his starting point was for this Ethiopian, his starting point was the book of Isaiah, but he knew his end game was the gospel. His end game was Jesus. It's kind of like, you think about like a, a GPS where when, if you ever make a wrong turn, the destination doesn't change. It just says recalculating, right? And for us as Christians, it doesn't matter what situation we walk into with somebody. We, it doesn't matter what our starting point is, is our end point, Jesus. Is our end point, the gospel with them. Final thing, Philip chose to be a part of God's plan. Philip chose to be a part of God's plan. When we look at the life of Philip, I believe there's so many incredible things that we can look at, so many things, so many ways that he took the opportunities that were in front of him. And I think about those points and I'm like, what would it look like for me to put my name where Philip's is? Where it says, John served God with whatever, or whoever was in front of him. 
John put himself in situations where he could leverage himself for the gospel. John's end game, no matter what, was always Jesus in the gospel. That was his end game. That was his goal, no matter what. John chose to be a part of God's plan. John, or not John, did I say John's plan? That's wrong. God's plan. John chose to be a part of God's plan. And I wonder, what does it look like for you to put yourself in that? Of, do I get to the end of my life and can I say these things? Can I, like Philip, use the opportunities that are in front of me and, and boldly proclaim Jesus to whoever I come in contact with, to boldly serve God in whatever situation that he puts me in. As I was thinking about these points and thinking about what do we do with this, I was thinking about how I respond in different situations. And I was thinking about that last point. Philip chose to be a part of God's plan. And I realized Man, for us, every single day, we have a decision. Are we going to be a part of God's plan? Are we going to choose to respond to what God's calling us to? And if you've heard me preach before, um, you've been here for a while, um, a lot of times I end up sharing something about uh, my daughter, Harper. Um, for, for many of you know that um, she um, suffers from seizures and um, I don't intend to bring this up in, in my messages. I just find that oftentimes that's just kind of what we're going through. It's kind of like when Brandon's talking about taking the, the boys hunting or, or going to the ballpark, that's kind of what he's doing. And, and for us, this is kind of our story. It, it, it a lot of times revolves around what's going on with her and the different issues that are around that. And, and I feel like, I want to share um, in me trying to process and God trying to refine me of what it looks like to, to choose to be part of his plan. I want to share my struggle in that um, and, and where, how I'm trying to process through that. And, not, and, I, and I don't say this so that um, you think I'm trying to understand what you're going through or that I expect you to understand what I'm going through just to try to show this is how I'm processing it. And maybe there's some, some relation points that you can understand that and see what that might look like for you. But over the past couple of weeks, um, there's, some, there's some unknowns with her right now. There's some tests that we're having to, um, to do, and we don't really know what the results are going to be. Um, and, and because of that, um, it's created um, some, some anxiety in me um, because there's, there's a lot of what ifs. There's a lot of um, what if questions. And um, to be honest, I just, I haven't known how to respond the best way in some of these things. And um, probably every you know, three to six months, I'll get a migraine. I'll suffer from migraines um, from time to time. And in the past two weeks, I've had about five migraines. And so it's just my mind has just been struggling. It's just been running. And um, I, I feel like, um, so this past week, I felt like I needed to, to share this with my wife, right? She's the person I do life with. Um, she's the person that encourages me, that, that loves me, that challenges me. And so I just, I felt like I needed to talk to her, but I'll be honest, I didn't want to talk to her because one of Natalie's struggles is anxiety. I didn't want to cause her more fear. And she had been responding fairly well over the past couple of weeks. I felt like she had been doing a good job of kind of taking her thoughts captive and making them obedient to Christ, just like scripture calls us to. But I wasn't doing a good job with that. And I didn't want to have to, to bring her in on that and have her go down that path. And so I was struggling with that, but I finally said, you know what, I need to talk to her. And so several nights ago, after we got the kids to sleep, I said, look, I just need to talk to you. And she was like, oh, great. What are you gonna talk about? But I just said, and kind of laid it all out. And as I, as I shared everything, uh, you might think that there was a feeling of relief of like, finally I got this off of my chest. But to be honest, there was a feeling of immediate regret of what did I just do? And what I, what I felt 
was I shouldn't have done that, right? And, and I told her, I'm like, I feel like I just led you poorly. I feel like I should have just owned this. I should have just handled this. I shouldn't have had you have to go down that path because what I saw is immediately her mind began turning and I saw it happening. And I saw those fears beginning to creep up in here. And I saw that anxiety begin to, fit, to fill. And I just go, man, what did I just do? I, I shouldn't have done that. I shouldn't have, have opened this, um, this can, if you will, of, of worms, or I, I shouldn't have done that. And I was fearful in that. And just the response wasn't good. And I just realized, I just, man, this isn't going how I thought that it would go. And a little while later, she, she comes back in and she goes, you know, that's not, I didn't respond the way that I wanted to respond. And I, I told her, I was like, no, it, it's fine. I, I shouldn't have even said anything. And for the next 10, maybe 15 minutes, what I can only describe is, as I feel like the Holy Spirit spoke through her um, in a greater way than, than I've ever seen. And what she did in that moment is she, she allowed the Spirit to speak truth into my life. And there were so many things that she shared and so many things that, that were, they were encouraging, they were hopeful, but they were also challenging, they were also convicting, they were honest, they were raw, and so many things in that moment that she was expressing and sharing and that I was just trying to receive. And there was a couple things that she said that I felt like when I heard them, it was just like there were clanging bells and I had to, to write them down after she finished talking because I felt like these are gonna be the things I'm gonna have to remind myself. And towards the end of this conversation, or not really a conversation, of just this end of her speaking, what I felt like the Lord was speaking through her, she said this. She said, we have to make a decision that this has purpose. That what's going on with Harper, that her seizures, that her sickness, we have to make a decision that this has purpose. It's not for nothing. And so I'm sitting there and I'm listening to this and I'm going, I don't even know what I think about that. And I'm struggling with that thought, but I also thought at the same time, how many of us have this situations? How many of us have things in our life? It could be a big this. It could just be a day, daily this that we have to make a decision that we view that situation, that issue, that whatever it is and says and, and decide that it has purposes. As I'm thinking about that, I'm wrestling with that and going, I don't even know if I, if I like what you're saying right now, she followed it up and she said this. She said, but if we allow this to tear us apart, to tear this family apart, to tear each other apart, if we allow this to tear us from other people, because it's just easier to isolate ourselves, if we allow this to tear us from God because we're frustrated and we don't like the way things are going and we wish we could change things, if we allow this to tear us from those things, here's the reality. And she spoke something so loving and so honest and so raw. She said, then God's plan will still happen. If we allow it to tear us apart, God's plan will still happen, but we will not have gotten to participate we will have missed it. It's a tough thing for us to realize. But the reality was that if we choose to go the other direction, then we're gonna miss what God's trying to do. And so I think about that and I think about, okay, if this has purpose, does that mean that God, his plan is for Harper to have this sickness, to have this illness? Is that his plan? Does he want to cause her harm? And in my belief, I know it's not his desire, because his desire, we can see at the book of Genesis, when, he, when creation was formed, God looks at it and he says it was good. There wasn't any sickness. There wasn't any illness. We know that one day he's going to come back again. He's going to wipe away every tear. And it's going to be incredible. We know that's his desire. 
But what we see God do is we see God take the brokenness of this world, to take sickness and he weaves it into his plan of reconciliation. He weaves it into his plan to make us back right with God again. The reason that I know this is we see this in the book of John. We see Jesus do this exact same thing and share this exact same thing of what it looks like. In John chapter nine, it says, as he went along, he saw a man blind from birth. His disciples asked him, Rabbi, who sinned, this man or his parents, that he was born blind? Neither this man nor his parents sinned, said Jesus, but this happened so that the works of God might be displayed. This sickness happened so that the works of God might be displayed, that that was woven in to this plan to make us right with God. A week and three days after Harper's first seizure, I had to preach. And I've got to be honest, I didn't want to preach, right? I was struggling. I was frustrated a little bit with the Lord. Uh, I didn't know what was happening. There was a lot of unknowns. I um, hadn't responded in the best way um, to my wife, to my family. I hadn't been this man of faith that I wanted to be. And so the last thing I wanted to do is to get up on this stage and try to preach the gospel, to try to encourage other people because I didn't feel like I was feeling it very much. But I, I, I said, you know what? I want to be a part of the plan. I want to participate. And so I'm going to be willing to do this. And so I got up there and I just, I was honest with everybody. And I said, look, today is not, this message is not for you. This is message is for me. This is the message that I feel like the Lord is needing to share with me because of what's going on in my life. The only issue or the only thing is I have a microphone on and you just happen to get to hear it, right? But this message, is, it's not for anybody else. I just needed to preach this to myself because it was the truth that I needed to hear in that moment. And so I share this message and I share um, the honesty of what was going on. And at the end of it, I felt like, man, I just need to give an opportunity for people to respond to the gospel. I need to give people the opportunity if they've never fully surrendered their life to Jesus, that they have that opportunity to be able to do that today. And so as I give that opportunity and I say, if there's anybody in here that wants to do that, I look back at that chair right over there and I see my father raise his hand up. My father, who I'd prayed for for so long, my father, who he believed in Jesus for probably his whole life, but hadn't really gotten to that point of saying, he's, he's my Lord and I'm gonna surrender everything to him. In that moment, I thought, it just, it hit me that that, what was going on with Harper, here is the example when Jesus said that God, that this happened so that the works of God might be displayed. The works of God was displayed through my father coming to know Jesus, that God wove this story of Harper's sickness into his plan of reconciliation, into his plan of making things right one day, not because he wanted this to happen, but he says, you know, look, in the hurt of this, in the pain of this, in everything that's going on, I'm going to work it into this plan and I'm going to see people come to know Jesus. And so here's the reality for me. I believe that Harper Urban, the things that go on in her life, are gonna show the works of God. The works of God are gonna be displayed in her life because of the sickness or, be, or without the sickness. It doesn't really matter. We're gonna choose as a family to say, this has purpose. I don't like it. I don't want it, but it's gonna have purpose because I'm gonna participate in God's plan. So when we look at Philip and we see Philip chose to be a part of God's plan, sometimes choosing to do that is messy. 
sometimes it's not fun. Sometimes it pushes us outside of our comfort zone. We're having to be, right now, as a, as a community, we are scattered all over this city. That should inspire us. That should, should pump us up because we realize here's the opportunity for the church to explode like it's never exploded before because we're gonna have all of you going out there preaching the gospel. It's scary, it's tough. You're not always gonna know the perfect things to say, but you're in luck because you have the Holy Spirit inside of you that's gonna be speaking through you. And it can just be this incredible things that happens, but we have to choose to be a part of that plan. Are we gonna take the opportunity? I get it, it's tough. It's hard. It's nerve wracking at times. It's scary, but it's fun too. And you get to see God do incredible things. And through all of it, you get to see miracles take place. So I wonder, is us being scattered, even though we're beginning to come back again, we're still gonna have this sense of being scattered. Is this the greatest thing that could have happened to us? Because it's gonna, it's gonna allow the church to potentially multiply better than ever before in our current culture. That's my challenge to y'all today, is are we gonna respond to this opportunity? Are we gonna make the most of these opportunities that are in front of us? Be like Philip, and whatever was in front of him, he chose to serve and to be obedient to Jesus. That's my challenge for you. It's my challenge for me. I don't get it all right all the time, and it's work in progress. It's bumpy at times. I wish it was, it, was, it was more bumpy than I'd like it to be sometimes, but it's, it is what it is. When I'm gonna tell you this, man, I'm, I'm gonna be a part of his plan. I might kick and scream at times, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna make a decision that my life has purpose and that God has the ability to work all this back and that one day every tear will be wiped away. Let me pray. Father, we are just so thankful for this opportunity to gather. God, whether that is gathering here in person, whether that's gathering in our homes, God, how beautiful is it that your body of Christ is all collectively together? It doesn't matter our location, but we know that we are one in Christ. I pray that we have that same sense of unity that the early church had, that they were so focused on the gospel, the fo so focused on the end goal of taking your good news to the ends of this earth, that we do whatever it takes. God, I pray that each person in this room, just like Philip, lay people, they take the gospel in their hands and they, they feel today that they've been commissioned. That they walk out these doors and they walk into the different jobs and communities and neighborhoods and, and friend circles and families, wherever they go, they say, I'm gonna use every opportunity I have to point people to Jesus. That might be, my starting point might be working on a car together, or it might be um, talking about the lawn together, or it might be just going to lunch, or it might tell you talking about struggling being a parent. And that's gonna be my open door with them to reveal my own struggles, but how I cling to Jesus in the midst of my own struggles. And that's gonna be that open door for them to share Jesus with somebody, empower people, give them the confidence to realize that they have everything they need because they have the Holy Spirit. God, Opportun taking opportunities is a choice that we get to make. I pray we don't miss these opportunities. I pray we choose to be a part of God's plan. Father, we love you. God, I thank you. Just the opportunity to be together and to open your word. We love you and we praise you and lift this up in your son's name.
Amen. Amen. Well, um, if you're tuning in online, you, again, you've got the opportunity to continue your giving through online giving. Today, if you're here in person, we do have the buckets available to you, and you can just drop that as you leave. Um, I would say as you exit, try to exit, um, kind of um, starting from the back, kind of like as in an airplane, just to try to um, keep the social distancing in place. Um, we love you all so, so much. Thank you for joining us, and we'll see you all next week.